Good afternoon, First Church. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm reading to you from 1 Kings chapter 17. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering sticks. He said, fetch me, I pray you, a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, would you bring me a morsel of bread in your hand? She said, I don't have a cake. I do have a handful of meal in a barrel. I've got a little bit of oil in a, in a bottle. Behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son. We're gonna eat it and we're gonna die. Elijah said, fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me a little cake first and bring it unto me and after make for you and your son. Don't you get it, preacher? If I give you what's supposed to be ours, I, nothing left. But thus saith the Lord God, if you'll do this, lady, the barrel of meal shall not waste. Neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. She did according to the saying of Elijah, she and he and her house ate many days. The barrel of meal didn't get empty and the cruise of oil never went dry according to the word of the Lord. So the challenge is simple, dine and die or give and live. It's where we are. It's where we are. It's where we are. You may be seated. She wasn't preparing a very elaborate meal. Little bit of bread. A little bit of oil here. Gonna eat this and die. All of a sudden, Elijah shows up and he said, you know what, would you get me something to drink? Yes, sir, we're not out of water. Get you some water. Oh, would you, would you bring me uh, some bread? Let's see, meal, oil, mixed together. Hmm. Not only, you, you have to read, I, I've taught you for years about context. You have to be conscious of just where these people are. It's a drought, it's a famine. Not only did this guy ask for water during a drought, he asked for food in the middle of a famine. Her response is telling. She said, um, I don't have any bread. I, uh, all I have is a handful, a handful of meal in a barrel and a little, a little oil in a cruise. 
Not a sack of, not a bag of. I have a handful. Not a bottle of, not a vessel, but a little oil. The next thing is what I think may be the most presumptuous statement you ever find in the Bible. I'll tell you what, he said, you go make me something first, bring it unto me, and then make something for you and your boy. It's like, preacher, what what, what part of this have you not been listening to? If, if, If I make you a cake first, then the meal's over. But then the word of the Lord came. The barrel of meals never going to be empty and the cruise of oil is never going to be dry until the day that this drought is over and God sends rain on the earth. It says in verse 16, and the, guess what? The barrel of meal didn't waste. Neither did the cruise of oil fail according to to the word of the Lord. With all that is going on in this world today, there is an enormous amount of pressure on the church to provide some magic formula for divine intervention and a miraculous manifestation of the power of God. I am absolutely convinced Elijah was the right man at the right time, at the right place, with the right message. When he arrived, the situation was desperate. This woman was preparing for the end. She feels hopeless and helpless. And when he showed up, he didn't bring anything with him. I get so frustrated sometimes traveling. This church is magnificent. I'll put you up against any congregation anywhere. But when I travel, I get tired of people. What are we missing, Brother Hoffman? What what are we doing wrong? What, What are we leaving out? I want you to understand something. There wasn't anything missing then and there's nothing missing now. The church of the living God is not inadequate. It's not inferior. It's not deficient or subordinate in any way. Everything that we need for a manifestation of the presence of God is present right now. I'll prove it to you. She had the sticks. That's where you get the fire. That in type is worship and faith. She had the meal. That's where you get the bread. That's a great picture of the word. And she had the oil, which all through the Bible is a type of his spirit and the Holy Ghost. So my question is to the church at large, do we have those things or not? Are we worshiping? Is there faith? Do we have the word? What about the spirit? She had everything she needed for a revival and a harvest. 
And yet she's ready to lay down and die. And that prophet asked her the same question I'm going to ask you. What you going to do with what you got? Because as presumptuous as this sounds, I am the right man at the right time, at the right place, with the right message. She said, we're going to have dinner and die. My boy and I are going to consume what we have left and then we're going to die. And he said, wait a minute, there's an option. Don't have dinner and die. Give and live. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, here in this room and watching me across this country, giving is a matter of life and death. We have the revelation of the name. We're right about that. The saving name of our God is not Father, Son, Holy Ghost. I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a grandson. That is not my name. The saving name. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. We have the revelation of the name. We have the revelation of the person. We don't just know what his name is. We know who he is. He's deity wrapped with dust. To wit, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. So we've got the revelation of the name. We've got the revelation of the person. We've got the revelation of the power. We're going into the revelation of giving. We have come to a place in this church that I'm so proud of. We are rejoicing over giving the way we rejoice over his name. I heard John Gibbs say something yes last week that I've I've never heard anybody say. And he was right on it. It says in Revelation 12 and 11, they overcame by two things, the blood and their testimony. That that scripture literally puts your testimony on par with the blood. I believe the blood's powerful. But your testimony is just as powerful as the blood. Jesus name when Paul Paul educated by Gamaliel the greatest living theological mind of his day but when Paul got in front of Agrippa instead of dipping his tongue in a rainbow and trying to impress that king with his education and his oratory he said I was riding on a horse a couple years ago next thing I knew I'm sitting my seat of my britches is right in the middle of that road and I'm talking to the sky and that king said, wow, you almost persuaded me to join. Because ladies and gentlemen, when Paul got in front of royalty, 
he knew the most powerful weapon in his arsenal was his testimony. Let me tell you what God's done for me. The blood is what God did through me, but the testimony is what he's done for me. And I am so, I am so proud of you because you have opened yourself up to the revelation of giving. Because when there is a revival of giving in this movement, I'm not talking about in this church, boy, it's in this church. But when it gets in this movement, (laughs) when a revival of giving in this movement reaches the same proportions as our doctrine, when we shout about giving as much as we shout about Jesus' name, baptism, and speaking in tongues. We are going to have a worldwide revival in the church and a harvest among the lost. And I have it. In Jesus' name. <clears throat> and I, I, I'm not just talking about money. I'm not just talking about money. I did a conference in South America called the, the Conference of the Southern Cone, the four southern countries in South America. I was walking down the street in Medellin, Colombia. On the largest Catholic church in that city was a sign in English and in Spanish, help, can anybody find us a Pentecostal piano player? <clears throat> I wrote it down. Pope went back to South America right after I was there. And this is a direct quote from CNN. The pontiff is going to South America to shore up the troops because of the mass exodus into the Pentecostal churches. Nobody can out-preach us. Nobody can out-sing us. And nobody can out-shout us. We're coming to the place where nobody's going to be able to outgive us. John Maxwell told me personally years ago, Harold, we all know you guys are the best preachers. All of us out here want your music and your singers. We all know you have better music than you. But he said, Pentecostal churches are lazy, Harold. And he said, if you would give yourself the process as much as you give yourself to preaching, you'd leave everybody else in the dust. I want us to get to that place where nobody else gives us. Because giving is a matter of life and death. I have been in full-time ministry for over 40 years and I have never met a greedy person. At least I've never met anyone who was willing to admit I've had everything confessed to me in 40 years. You name it, I've had it confessed to me. Except greed. I've never had anybody say, Pastor, I'm struggling with greed. My son and I Me and mine, 
our little club here. Reminds me of Spanky and our gang who had a crooked sign on their clubhouse that used to say the He-Man Woman Haters Club. No grills allowed, G-R-Y-L-Z. I want us to understand that if our vision is only for us, for me and my boy, if it's just about you and yours, you're gonna eat it, it's gonna be gone, and you're gonna die. But when your vision gets bigger than just you and yours, me and mine, you can give and live because the next revival will be released according to the proportion of our giving. Dine and die or give and live. Matthew 6 is known for the Lord's Prayer, but that's just one of three directives. Jesus said, when you pray, this is how I want you to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Everybody knows that. But right after that, he said, when you fast, this is what I want you to do. But before the lesson was over, he said, and when you give, this is how I want you to give. Jesus expected those three things to be common occurrences in the life of his people before he returned. Prayer, fasting, giving. This is what the preacher said to that woman years ago. If you give right now, you're gonna live to see this famine come to an end. And you're gonna live to see this drought come to an end. I'll translate that for you in English. You're gonna be here when the rain comes. Is there anybody with me that wants to be here when the latter rain gets poured out? I intend to see it. The former rain and the latter rain together. I intend to see that. You can get a building, an organ, a set of drums, a sound system, a piano, microphones, and pews and be dead as last year's bird nest. I'm here. Tell people that don't give, you're doomed to die. Only way this lady was going to live to see the rain was to give. Not more Bible studies, not more buildings, not more programs. Giving opens the windows of heaven. And that's Old Testament language. You get in the New Testament, it doesn't talk about the windows of heaven, it talks about doors. You can get in a house through the window, but it's tough. It's a whole lot easier to get in through the door. People in the Old Testament had the windows open. The Bible said, Noah, God opened the windows of heaven. Malachi said, give, I'll open the windows of heaven. But you get in that New Testament, it said, behold, I have put before you an open door. An open door. Jesus didn't say, I'm the window. Jesus said, I'm the door. 
that's what he said. I have tiptoed, skirted, apologized, dodged, and dreaded the message of giving for years. Audiences around this country and in other countries, they get quiet and very sober and somber when you start talking about giving. So let's hit it right on. Let us consider our paranoia on this matter. I had a friend who suffered tragically this past week. He had a family member make terrible, terrible choices. He was convicted and sentenced several years in prison. Boy, my phone started ringing. That thing hit the local news, then it got on national news, then it got on Facebook. And some of you bums listening to me right now, you know what I'm talking about. Calling me, did you hear? And the whole time, all I can say is, before you got on Facebook, before you made all these calls, did you even think to pray for that victim? Did you even think to pray for that other? Did, did you, have you prayed at all for anybody? Or all you want to do is just dance on their grave and tell me the salacious, titillating details because inquiring minds want to know. If you did that, you played right into the hands of the enemy. Because without a doubt, the reason for the freezing effect that talking about money today brings is a direct result of the media madness and the public contempt for religious scandals. I saw Jim Baker in leg irons and shackles. I never saw Jeffrey Dahmer in leg irons and shackles because the world would tolerate a cannibal more than they can tolerate another lion preacher. And before you put Jim Baker in hell, read his book, I Was Wrong and the Danger of Prosperity Theology. They didn't sell many of them books. But I got one signed by him. Pastor, please notice this chapter. Mercenary prophets who in many cases have sealed the lips of pulpits in churches across this country. I need $60 million for a jet. I want to tell you right now, right now, every Catholic priest is not a pedophile. And every preacher is not a lying, thieving bum. This has been the devil's delight just to jump on this. Listen to me. The answer to abuse is not to stop. The answer is proper use. The answer to the abuse of money is not for people to quit giving. The answer is proper use and accountability for the money that's being trusted. We had a man go to this church, owned rental properties, came in, got the Holy Ghost, amazing. Got transferred because of work. Said, Pastor Hoffman, have you noticed anything different the last several weeks? I said, no. No, I don't. 
Hmm. He said, well, I have a confession to make. My sister's one of the wealthiest women in the Midwest. She was so angry when I came to this church. She hired the most reputable detective agency in Chicago. They've been following you for three months. They have your W-2s. They have your tax income statements. They have hacked all of your computer accounts. They have followed you for the last three months. When I went to my sister's office this past week, she had a file on you eight inches thick. After three months of them following me and going through every crevice and cranny in my life, they told her, he's clean. She said, everybody's got a secret somewhere. And they said, not this guy. If he'd have had it, we'd have found it. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the greatest friend of truth is time. My secretary knows my passwords. My wife knows my passwords. I don't have secrets. As we go through this campaign, every dollar will be accounted for. Every month, Brent Campbell will get up. Brent Campbell has access to financial statements. Sister Laura, our financial secretary, has access to this. Brother Greg Vanderwater, who's been over this thing for years now. Every month, we will give you an accounting of what has happened. I can't believe that there are people that truly say they believe Acts 2.38 and would not give to see it preached. If you really believe it's the saving message for the world, I believe we're willing to invest in it to see that it's propagated. Do you really believe it? If you give, you're going to deplete the resources of this church. Let me tell you this. Giving churches and giving people always have something to give. Always. People that don't give always say the same thing. I can't afford it. I can't afford it. I can't afford it. But the people that give have these stories. These amazing stories. Read that Bible. It's there. People don't give because they have. They have because they give. I get so upset when I hear people that don't serve God jealous over things that saints have. I want to tell them that while you were buying chemical crutches, they were supporting missionaries. While you were paying lawyers to try and make your bail money, they were giving offerings. While you were out clubbing and buying whores, they were giving to the kingdom. Be jealous all you want. I've heard it for years. God bless those that have and those that have not. We had a man that used to go to this church. We'd have prayer before offering. He'd pray this, oh, God bless those that have and bless those that have not. I stopped him one night and said, don't you ever pray that prayer again. I'm not praying a blessing on stingy people. I'm not praying a blessing on people that don't give. The reason they don't give is because they're not willing. 
There's not a spirit there. I say pray a blessing on those that give. Forget the people that don't give. Because those who give are going to get more. And they'll give more. The stingy ones will never have any more. Old brother D.L. Welch told me years ago, he used to look at his fingers. He said, I like to take offerings for two reasons. I said, okay, I'll bite. He said, I am convinced that when people give, God's going to bless them. And then there was that pregnant pause and he looked at me and I said, and number two, he had that impish grin on his face and he said, I love to irritate the tightwads. You heard something powerful last week. Covenant giving. Give and it shall be given unto you. That's Bible. Jesus told Simon Peter, you heard, you heard it read in the worship today. This is what he said. You bind and I'll back you up. You loose and I'll back you up. But you're going to have to do the tying and the untying. You ever do them shoelaces once and then double them up? That's what the Lord said. You tie it, I'll come behind you, mm, and I'll do a double knot. Bible said the heavens, Psalms 19, plural, not singular, plural. The heavens declare the glory of God. Bible said in Genesis chapter one, he put a firmament, a space between the water on the earth and the water in the clouds, and he called that firmament heaven. That's the first heaven. But when you read Corinthians 12, Paul said, I knew a man that was caught up to the third heaven. Reason dictates if there's a third heaven, there has to be a second heaven and there has to be a first heaven. The third heaven is the throne of the Lord himself. The first heaven is the atmosphere around this earth. The second heaven are where the stars live. The first heaven is where the birds live and the planes fly. The second heaven is where the stars and the moon lives. The third heaven is the throne of the Lord himself. The first heaven you see by day. The second heaven you see by night. But the third heaven you see by faith. It says in the book of Daniel, from the first day that you started to pray and fast, I was sent with your answer, but the prince of Persia withstood me. You know what Persia is? It's the ancient name for modern day Iran. You know what Babylon is? The Medes, that's the ancient name for modern day Iraq. I'm telling you, Satan established a beachhead on that piece of real estate. And to this day, it's a pain in the rear to the world. The prince of Persia. We're not talking about a literal king. Something in the spirit. Because the Bible says that there are principalities and there are powers. Then there's rulers of the darkness of this world. And then there's spiritual wickedness in high places. A principality is what in Michigan we would call a township. It's what Louisiana would would call a parish. It's a legitimate defined piece of real estate. Watch how it grows. First of all, there's a principality. Then there's a power. This is old Middle English text. That's where your Bible came from. The word power, even to this day, the queen, it says, the power, they're referred to as the powers that be because a power is something that ran a country. And then there's something bigger than a country. There's the ruler of the darkness of the world. But then there's something bigger than that. Spiritual wickedness in high places. It's in Ephesians. 
Six times in the book of Ephesians, the original Greek word for that is used. Five times it's translated heavenly. One time it's translated high. They don't know why, but it's the same original word. Do you understand what we're dealing with here? I'm telling you between where you and I dwell right now and between the throne of Jesus, there's another, there's another heaven. That's why it says, if you'll bind in heaven, I'll back you up. If there's only one heaven and it's where he is right now, I promise you nothing needs bound and nothing needs let go. But there's another realm, a place of battle. The heavens, the heavens. You understand what I'm saying? We have the ability, ladies and gentlemen, to go beyond this world and bind something in that buffer between this earth and that throne. We have the ability to let something go here Amen. And it will be affected there. The Lord will back us up. It's a covenant giving. It's a biblical principle. Give and I'll give you. Loose, I'll back you up. Bind, I'll back you up. It starts with us. It doesn't say I'm going to give you and then you give away. No, you give and I'll back you up. This message does not begin with get and then you give. It starts with give and it shall be given. It doesn't start with a lot. It's a couple sticks. It's a handful of this. It's a couple ounces of that. But are we willing to give what you've got to see the rain come? To see this drought end? Jesus called a successful entrepreneur a fool because he enlarged his capacity to keep. He had more than he would ever need. He had more than he had room for. It never crossed his mind. But now that I've got everything that I need, the rest I'll give away. All he could think of was tearing down his barns and building bigger barns. And that voice came, now, foe, this night, your soul is required of you. God has blessed this place. And he's blessed many of you that are watching me right now. He did not enlarge us in order for us to keep it. He has enlarged us in order for us to advance the kingdom. had repeated calls. Whatever you do, don't let Pastor Mitchell come and preach there. He'll die. Don't you understand? He's taking all of these drugs to combat that tendency in that body to repel that new heart he's got in there. Taking all these, these, these anti-rejection drugs. He, he's, got no, he's got no immune system. He can't be around all those people. He's, he's going, you're going to kill your best friend. But last night I got a call from my best friend. He said, guess where I am? I'm at the top of the stairs. He said, when they took me to the hospital, it took me an hour to get down the stairs to get to the hospital. But he said, after I've come back from Michigan, the Lord has strengthened my legs and I'm sleeping in my own bed tonight. 
because I have the strength to walk up the stairs. Why has he been given that strength? Because he gave that strength to this congregation last Sunday. This is what it says in Leviticus. I'm writing a book right now called Unreaped Corners. It's my ability to walk through the word, my attempt to walk through the word and find these places that nobody else thinks there's anything worth eating there. When we reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. In other words, everything that grows in our field isn't ours. It may be in your field, but it's not yours to reap and hang on to. It's not yours to keep. It may be in your pocket, but it just might be there because God wanted to see if you would take it to where it needed to go. God is putting miraculous financing in this church. This church income has increased 20 to 25% since January. It's there for the stranger. It's there for the stranger. God is looking for someone in this church that he can trust with a million dollars, that he can trust with $10 million. Pray for me. Pray with me. I want James Hagman to have a solar panel company. It's the future. I want you to pray. God will make that possible. My mom's got an oil well in West Virginia that she owns with several distant relatives. I want you to pray. She said last night, we'll give it all, Harold, if God will bless it. We'll give it all if God will bless it. God is looking for someone that he could trust. Don't you know that God wants this world saved much more than you and I could ever, ever, ever hope to Oh, Jesus. I worked, I worked on this building, 1980, 1981. I worked on this building. Yeah, I squashed my thumb a time or two. I've got some blood somewhere between this drywall and these studs, but there's a whole lot of difference between me driving nails and shedding a little blood driving nails in the building and them driving nails in his wrist and driving nails in his, in his feet. Sticking that thing in his side. I have never shed blood for you. I've tried to love you, but it's nowhere close to how much he loves you. The prophet said two things. If you give, it won't be wasted and it will not fail. Giving is never waste. It never fails. I'll prove it to you. This woman never got a barrel back. She never received 50 gallons of oil back. That's not what the Lord said. He said, it will be there when you need it. It will be there just like it was there the last time you looked. Because you and I both know the last time we looked, we were convinced it was the last time. As a matter of fact, it's looked like the last time every time. And yet God always provided and we have come to learn that the last time wasn't the last time, but just the latest chapter in a massive volume of miracles that was our life. I thought it was over, 
but it was just the beginning. He said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning. What he said, it's, it's, it's over. It's over. It's ended. But I'm telling you, when Jesus said it was over, it was just the beginning. Amen. What we think it's done. There's no, this is the end. <laughs> Let me tell you, we don't just serve the end. We serve the beginning. We don't just serve the last. We serve the, the first. We don't just serve Omega. We serve Alpha. He has the ability to turn what looks like the end into a brand new beginning. Oh, Jesus. Every time you think this is it, this is the last of it, there's no more. And you go again and guess what? There's a little bit more in the bottom of the barrel. And there's a little bit more still splashing in the bottom of the pot. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he said at meet, a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. She broke the box and poured it on his head. She used to be a prostitute. I'm convinced this was the stuff she reversed, reserved for her, her wealthiest clients. But she's not living in the red light district anymore. She's following Jesus. And she's got enough perception to realize he's not going to be here much longer. And she took the most valuable thing and broke that box when she did that aroma filled the room. Somehow, that woman picked up on the pressure of the end, was motivated to do her very best But unfortunately, the same thing that brought out the best in Mary brought out the worst in Judas. What a waste this is. We could have given it to the Salvation Army. We could have given it to Mother Waddles. When you break something, really break something, there are always going to be people that are aware of it. When something breaks and cracks in your life for the glory of the Lord, you will not keep that a secret long. The next verse said he was filled with indignation because what Mary called worship, Judas called waste. You're not being very bright, Mary. Let me teach you how to invest. Let me teach you how to calculate. I have noticed over the years that those People who are always so careful and so prudent have a hard time ever coming around to giving anything. And eventually, that same theory that they live by becomes applied to the Lord. You see, the people who are always counting the cost eventually always sell it. This is such a hard thing to serve the Lord, Brother Hoffman. You don't understand. It's so hard to stay home on Friday nights when I used to get drunk and throw up. It's so hard to not snort that thing up my nose or stick that or get in bed with a woman that I never, you don't understand the excitement of seducing someone that you've never known before. Boy, this is tough. Let me give you some Bible. It ought to be hard to go to hell. 
not to go to heaven. The Bible said the way of the transgressor is hard. You have to settle these questions in your mind. I've thrown away my rear view mirror. I'm never going back. Never. I'm never going back there. I'm never going back there. It was Judas that sold out Jesus, not Mary. It wasn't the giver, it was the stingy one. I want to be a poured out Pentecostal. Because before we ever have an outpouring of the Holy Ghost, we're going to need some poured out people. People that are willing to empty themselves. Because the distraction to giving is not what you give, but whether what you have left after you give. That's why Jesus rebuked the rich. They're coming, putting their money in the pot. He's standing over by a big, massive pillar. They don't see him in the shadows. And all of a sudden comes one little gal. I'm sure her head's down. Her clothes don't look like much. And she reaches into that purse and somewhere between the button and the pencil stubs, there's two pennies. And she takes those two pennies, puts it in that thing and turns and walks away, having no idea she's being watched at by the master. He said, they gave out of their abundance. She gave of her living. She's in the Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, when you go back to the story of Elijah and the widow woman, my question is simple. What in the world did she have to lose? She's going to die anyway. The real issue here for me is not just whether she was willing to give. The real issue for me as a pastor is how in the world is this preacher going to receive it? Okay, Elijah, can you preach it and not practice it? When she handed him the last bit of bread she had in that house and the last oil in that house. In most instances, we won't take someone's last dollar. What will people say about me? What are they going to say about this church? What kind of reputation will we have in this community? What will the paper say? See, the pressure wasn't on the lady. God said. Pressure was on the the prophet. Am I going to kill this woman and her son? I have come to a time in my life where all of my pride is gone. Jesus told the story of someone that visited a man and he had nothing, so he went to his neighbor and beat on the door at midnight asking for bread, not for himself, but for someone else. I am here today not asking for money for me, but you can get really aggressive if you're asking for somebody else. I have come to the reservation in my heart that I'm going to believe God for this congregation and I'm asking you to give. 
It will not be wasted. And it will not fail. Will you stand with me? Last night, I met our leadership team. I had dinner with them. Because we knew as leaders, it was our job to be first in this church. When the evening was over, the leadership team of this church committed one million seven hundred and fifty-nine thousand dollars to this campaign. <laughs> I haven't slept for the last couple of days. I was here terrified. I left house early yesterday Renee knew I was going she didn't have to ask how you doing baby I said honestly sweetheart I am scared slapped to death because I'm either going to be the biggest fool in the world or somehow God's going to bail me out one more time I came to the church I'm laying there on the floor in my office all of a sudden like a Rolodex like like flashcards. Hundreds, maybe thousands, faces that I didn't recognize. I'm very cautious when I tell you this, and if you know me at all, you know I'm, I don't use the God card very often. But I felt the Lord speak to my heart and say, these are the faces the people I will give you faces of people I don't have names for people that I don't have phone numbers for people that I never met in my life just they're out there we're leaving last night I'm I still haven't got over it I, I have a very strong anointing on me right now just the afterglow of last night we have to get the $3 million in this campaign. We've already got almost a million eight. 60 people committed that much. I'm confident we can get the rest of it. Now let me tell you what this means. Our goal is to build 30,000 feet at $200 a foot. That's six million dollars. We have a million now. We've invested it. If we can get three million dollars in this campaign, that's four. That does not include any interest that will be accrued on this money in those three years. The income in this church has gone up over 20% since January. We met with every department in the church and they slashed their budget and did it willingly and with a great spirit, I might add. At the present rate of giving, the minimum is 300000 and I am not being unreasonable to say that we can save $500,000 from the general account per year. 
If we can do that, that's 1.5 million on top of the four that we'll have. That's five and a half million dollars. If you can build 30,000 feet at $200 a foot, that's six million dollars. This is taking into account that there's not one new person added to this church in the next 36 months. I don't even know how many we baptized last week. This is with no new people coming. I am not being unreasonable when I say it is possible for us to build this new temple with cash. It's possible. It's possible. So Brother John is gonna come and give you some instructions. But before he does, I'm gonna tell you this. I'm leaving last night, all of a sudden aware. Harold Noah was an old man, but he invested his life savings in a boat and ended up saving his whole family. So I appeal to you, are you willing to make an investment in the kingdom? Because I'm convinced if we'll give, we're going to live and we're going to thrive. Because the definition of leadership is influence. Whoever influences the most people, they're the leaders. See, if you think you're a leader, just look behind you. If there's nobody following you, you're just going for a walk. This has the potential to put this church in a totally different orbit and a totally different stratosphere. Meaning, I'm not talking about bragging rights here. I'm talking about the ability to drive change and the ability to inspire churches, people. And not just that, souls. Let's imagine. 